Thank you for joining us today. Now that Christmas is over, Pastor Rander challenges us with a life-changing question. How will we live after Christmas Day? The fact that we are able to hear today's message tells us that God has extended His grace to us in a new year, an opportunity to live for Him on earth and ultimately with Him eternally in heaven. Will we do what we've always done? Or will we commit ourselves to consistently seek God, hear God, trust God, and obey God? The Bible instructs us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. Without Him, we can do nothing. With Him, nothing shall be impossible. We must be totally committed to Him, just as He is totally committed to us. He's given us another chance. What will we do with it? Have your Bible close by and have pen and paper handy. And Father, we do need you to help America. We consider all that has been been going on of late in this country. Oh, how we need to pray. We need to petition you for help. We need to look to you. Because without you, this country cannot make it. You created this country. You gave birth to this country. And without you, there would be no America. And no any other country, as far as that matters. Help us to be thankful. We can focus on so many of the ills and the negative aspects of this country until we can forget how blessed we really are and there are millions of people wish they could have an opportunity to be here we could have been born anywhere but in your own sovereignty whether we were born here uh, we migrated here either way the fact remains that we are here And we're glad. Help us now to preach this word. We pray against satanic distractions. And we bless your name. In Jesus name we pray. And all God's children said. Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? You have your Bibles. We will be asking you kindly to turn to uh, Matthew 16, 18. It's our verse that we'll start with is our launching pad. We'll say that. And then we will uh, lift other references of scripture. This is part six of a series entitled The Anatomy of the Lord's Church. The Anatomy of the Lord's Church. The word of God reads in Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The anatomy of the Lord's church. When we think of the word anatomy, we think of the structure of a human body. The same is also true as it relates to the spiritual body of the Lord's church. The church is a living spiritual organism that has structure. The church has 
organization. The church has governance. The church has order. And the church has purpose. If you were to ask many saints, what is the purpose of the church? I can only imagine you would get a variety of answers. There are believers who have been saved for many years who do not know the structure of the church or her mission on earth. The church was ordained by God. The church was created and established by our Lord, of which he is the great head. On the day of Pentecost, the church was started. It was given birth by God himself, according to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The church belongs to Christ exclusively. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. Beloved Christ will build his church. As a matter of fact, when this text, when God says upon this rock, I will build my church. He was responding to a statement of declaration that Peter had made. Peter had just said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, now that didn't come from flesh and blood. And and really on that statement, Peter, not on you, you are not the church. The Pope is not the church. But on that statement, on that declaration, I will build my church. He says, I will, which indicates that the church was not yet born, which did not happen until Acts chapter two. Beloved, Christ will build his church of which he is the chief cornerstone. Not only is Jesus the chief cornerstone, he is the bedrock. Not only is Jesus the bedrock, but he is the foundation upon which the church is to be built. Therefore, the intent of this message is to get believers to understand the anatomy of the church, the purpose and mission of the church, so we as his children can be united in one spirit and purpose as we carry out the cause of Christ on earth. Now, what are the purposes of the church? We've been giving you a number of components of the church, and we've been dealing with the structure and the anatomy and the makeup and all of that. So we're just going to kind of continue. We can't go backwards because it'll take too much time. So we just have to deal with where we are today. What are the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to partake of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. The purpose of the church is to partake of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42b, it says that the early church broke bread together. You see there, the breaking of bread refers to both the Lord's Supper and also to eating common fellowship meals together. During the days of the early church, a love feast was held in connection with the Lord's Supper as an expression of love of the saints for one another. Oh, how the saints loved one another. They broke bread in one another's home. They served communion in one another's home. They placed great emphasis on the observance of the Lord's Supper where believers came together regularly to remember Christ's shed blood and death on our behalf, which is required of all believers who are in right standing with Almighty God today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 26 says, and when he had given thanks, you know, Jesus is always giving thanks. And and that's a reminder to us. We ought to give thanks in everything. 
And when he had given thanks, Jesus, he broke it and said, take, eat the bread. This is my body. Jesus had a real, literal, actual body. The incarnation, he, he, he received his body at the incarnation. Body, clothed, God clothed in human flesh, virgin born. This is my body. He came here. God prepared him a body to save us from our sins. And now it is time for his body to be broken for you and me. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He was almost out of this world. He was almost home. And he was establishing an ordinance in the church whereby we can remember his death on the cross. He says, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Why in remembrance of me? Because he knows how prone we are to forget. In the same manner, he also took the cup, which represents the shed blood of the Lord Jesus after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. This speaks of a binding agreement ratified with the blood of Christ. This, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, you to remember what I did for you. I was born for you. I lived for you. I suffered in Gethsemane for you. I was hung on a cross for you. I agonized on the cross. I, I pained and anguished on the cross. They nailed my hand and my feet. They put a crown of thorns around my head. I did it all for you. I were, I was your divine substitute. I did for you that which you could not do for yourself. I was the perfect, unblemished, sacrificial lamb to die for the sins of the world. As a matter of fact, John in uh, John in 129 says, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember me. Now, some of y'all remember the wrong stuff, but Jesus said, will you remember me? Don't remember stuff back in 1932 and 2000. Don't, don't remember the, the, the betrayals and the hurt and the pain. I want you to remember me. Verse 26 says, as often as you eat this bread, which represents the Lord's body, and drink this cup, which represents the Lord's blood, you proclaim and declare the Lord's death until he comes. The verse is saying he is coming back again. And if you don't believe he's coming back again in a real personal bodily return, you are in real trouble. Jesus is not coming back in spirit form. He's coming back in bodily form. His body was raised from the dead. When he ascended out off of Mount Olivet, he was in a personal body as he ascended up to heaven. And this same Jesus says the angels is coming back again in like manner in a real glorified body. And we're to do this till he comes. We have a coming back savior. The Lord's Supper also requires 
a self-examination for the purpose of purging, for the purpose of purging sin out of the lives of believers, which purifies the church. I reiterate, the Lord's Supper also requires self-examination, a self-soul searching for the purpose of purging sin out of the lives of believers. And when we when we all search ourselves, that's why we have that moment of self-examination so that we can deal with our sins by thought, by deeds, by words, by actions. And so doing, as we all do that individually, guess what happened? The church is being purged of sin collectively as we deal with our own sins individually. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30 says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, a woman, anyone who is a believer examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drink judgment to himself. You know, you bring chastening the chastening hand of God upon you if you mishandle the Lord's supper, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. The Lord's supper is not to be taken lightly. According to this passage It's right there in your face. It is not to be taken lightly and it is to be received with reverence before the Lord, according to this passage, to partake of the Lord's Supper in an irreverent manner will bring not a light illness, not, 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 not a mild illness. It will bring severe sickness. You think Corona make you sick? Mishandle the Lord's Supper. And it will bring a severe sickness upon those who are taking it in a way that's irreverent, severe sickness. And some even sleep. Look at that word, sleep, which is a metaphor for death. This is not just going to sleep at night and then waking up, body rejuvenation, that kind of thing. This sleep here is a metaphor for death upon believers who do so. Verse 30 says, for this reason, many of you are weak. Weak, weak spiritually, weak physically. You make yourself weak. You become a weakling when you mishandle the Lord's Supper. Nonchalant, could care less about taking it. Uh, irreverent with it. You, it. It makes you weak. Look, and conjunction, sick. Sick. Mishandling the Lord's Supper or taking it in a way that's inappropriate before the Lord will make you sick. You will bring sickness on yourself because of mishandling the Lord's Supper and taking it in a way that, that grieves the heart of God, weak, underline that, and then among you, among who? Among the believers, not the world. This is not for the world, it's for those in the context of the church. And many sleep. Oh, that's good folk who get good sleep in the church, you know, but we're not talking about that kind of sleep. <laughs> we're talking about many die. They die. They actually physically die. Listen, I submit to you today, brothers and sisters, don't play with God. 
Don't play with God. Don't play with the, the things of God. The things of God are holy. The things of God are sacred. Uh, we come in here, we mean business for God because we have to answer to him in our worship, in our songs, in our, whether you're doing media, whether you're doing a nursery, whether you're doing a greeter, an usher, whatever you're doing, or you're preaching of the gospel, serving as a leader, deacon, or whatever, you are going and I are going to answer to God. Many died because of mishandling the Lord's Supper. You see, my friend, Holy Communion is not optional because our Lord instructed all believers to participate in it. The two ordinances of the church are baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the Lord requires us to be faithful uh, in observing both the baptizing of saints and uh, the administering of the Lord's Supper. Beloved, the Lord is coming back soon. I say it again. The Lord is coming back soon. Nothing has to happen for the Lord's return. The Lord can come at any moment. The Lord's return is imminent. Imminent means at any moment. And I am not looking for signs. I am looking for the Savior. Beloved, the Lord is coming back soon. Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you being faithful until the Lord's return? Are you doing what he has commanded you to do until he returns? Now let's transition from the Lord's Supper. See another uh, aspect, a component of the Lord's church. The purpose of the Lord's church, according to Acts 2.42, is to pray. The purpose of the Lord's church is to pray. In Acts 2.42, it says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We dealt with that. And fellowship, we dealt with that. And the breaking of bread, we dealt with that. And in prayers. Now let's deal with that. And you, you go back to the beginning of that verse. In verse 2, it says, they continue. What? Continue to what? In prayers. They were steadfast. In prayers. In prayers. Prayer is so essential. It is so essential that Jesus himself said in Matthew 21, 13, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You notice we have prayer integrated in the worship, the, the liturgical experience of Maranatha. We open our worship with prayer. Did you get that? Then we're coming out a little bit later on in the service, and here we are praying on our knees together in prayer. Toward the end of the service, we will close the service in prayer. The services and celebration of Maranatha also includes the word. We open up with the reading of the word. And then you go a little bit later on in the worship. Then there's a scriptural reading of the word. And then you go a little bit further down in the service. Then you got the preaching of the word. And then you go a little bit longer. Then you got a benediction from the word. The word and prayer and worship is just like cornbread and beans. They just go together. <laughs> Jesus says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. 
The church is to be a place that teaches prayer. The church is to be a place that teaches prayer. The church is to be a place that practices prayer. The church is to be a place that promotes prayer. The church is to be a place that prioritizes prayer. I'm amazed that in many of our churches today, there's so little emphasis on prayer. Especially in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, they all oh, they give you this. They give you the stats on the uh, COVID-19 and they'll tell you the hot spots and they'll give you the charts and they'll tell you to watch out and they'll tell you this has happened and that is happening. And, and they're going all over the place and your emotions is all over the place. But I pose a question to you. Who's praying? In the midst of a pandemic, if you're not praying, you are most remiss and negligent. What is prayer? What is prayer? The early church prayed. They were in the business of praying. Not in the business of passing out business cards to promote their business and to make some money. You don't come in here to cut a deal. You don't come in here to be popular. You don't come in here to make a name for yourself. You come in here because you're in the business of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is simply, it's talking and communing with God. It's talking and communing with God with reverence and humility. Uh, God requires that we pray and seek his face. It is required. It is not optional. Uh, believers are to pray about everything. There's nothing too little to pray about, nothing too large to pray about. You to pray about everything. You ought to pray morning, noon, night, in between, being confident that God hears and he answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. Through prayer, God's children speak to him. Through prayer, God's children call upon him. Through prayer, God's children cry out to him. The early church prayed with power. They prayed with power. You say, where is that? Well, look at the book of Acts. You'll see the early church praying. Some powerful praying going on in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, which says, I looked, and when they had prayed, Collectively, they collectively prayed. They prayed. The early church prayed. The place where they were assembled together, they, they, they were in the same place in the unity of the spirit together assembled and the place was shaken. What if our prayers so moved God that the Maranatha facility would rumble as if it was having an earthquake because of the power of prayer unleashed among the saints in this building. We'd probably shock, maybe be a few heart attacks and we need paramedics. <laughs> prayer, prayer, prayer. It prayer shakes up things. Uh, uh, they were similar together and, and when they were praying, the, the place was shaken. Prayer shakes things up. When you move God, God moves and he shakes things up. Prayer breaks up some stuff. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit got a hold to them. They were controlled by the Spirit. They were under, they were under the authority of the Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. It enabled them to, to speak and to do ministry in the power of boldness in the Spirit. They were not wimpy. They were not afraid. You know, they could stand. They knew back then that the church was essential. I'm not so sure today that believers in the midst of this virus realize truly that the church is essential. I want you to repeat after me because you probably haven't said it yet. Repeat after me as loud as you can through those masks. The church is essential to the glory of God. Say it a little bit louder. The church is essential to the glory of God. Well, the bars are open. Oh, and then when they were closed, they had drive through services and the line. You couldn't you couldn't count the cars around the line. The, the marijuana houses, you know, they don't call it marijuana now. They got, I forget that little cute name. They come with little cute names. CBD, DBCD, they put a little alphabets on it, you know, to soften it. It's marijuana. Okay. <laughs> oh, those places are uh, 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 full of people. And you know, they say, it's essential. It's essential. Isn't that amazing? The drugstore is essential. HEB is essential. Costco is essential. SeaWorld. Uh, is essential. But the church, <laughs> we'll come when we think about it. I'm talking about even pastors that go months, maybe some of them may not open up the next year. What about a sinner that comes and knock on the door? Can they even get in? Can the church door let in a sinner? The bars will let them in. Oh, the strip, the strip clubs will let them in. Oh, yeah. Will the church let sinners in? As Pastor Rander concludes this message, let us commit ourselves to the fruit of the Spirit as given to us in the Word of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Let us commit ourselves to giving our best service to God in all that we do. For when we give God's way, As his word tells us, we will receive in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If you enjoy this kind of Bible teaching, please join Pastor Rander at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas.